Andrew. Welcome to the Traveling To Radio Show, coming to you today from a cargo ship. You can hear the hum all around us. It's kind of an exciting journey. So today we're going to tell you how to get yourself and your bike over the water and around the world without using a plate. And we'll also tell you about our friend Chris, who's planning to do a similar trip. Imagine, he's going to try and do 75,000 kilometers, 8 years, 50 odd countries or so. Uh, we wish them the best of luck. It's a massive undertaking, and he hopes to do it all by taking boats across the water. And finally, we've got some thoughts to share on our time in Australia. But first... I mean, it's just gigantic. I mean, if you look at what we've done, we can chip them off the edge of the uh, edge of the map, and that's it. It's just very small little bits. And yet, we've cycled, you know, at least a couple thousand kilometers, but it just doesn't look like anything when you put it on a map. So, if you want to do the whole country, I guess you need at least eighteen months yeah, to do it properly. To do it properly, it's just you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you couldn't do it any quicker. And if you don't have 18 months, well, then I guess you're just going to have to do it in bits over time. For, for what we did, we really enjoyed Tasmania and Western Australia. Two great places to cycle, quiet roads, beautiful scenery. Yeah, nice rural, rural places and you can get away and see some of the wildlife that uh, we experienced. And one of the other things that we really liked in the areas that we cycled around uh, was the national parks. Yeah, the amazing number of national parks out in Western Australia that uh, were pretty much within a day's ride it seemed uh, we just seemed to stumble upon them and uh, they had such great facilities they did I mean everyone we went to I wouldn't call them fancy but you know they always had rainwater. they always had a nice spot for you to put your tent and quite often in beautiful locations and very very cheap about $6.50 a person per night you don't need to pay an extra entry fee that's in WA in Tasmania they do make you buy an overall membership to the park and then you've got camping fees on top but, uh, yeah, the national parks were really, we thought, in general, very well taken care of. And we really appreciated being able to end up there after a day on the road. And the other thing we noticed that everywhere in Australia, you can find barbecues. Like, electric barbecues, where you just press a button, and it starts up, and you can fry away. Yeah, what a great thing. I mean, we've been having all sorts of sausage fry-ups and things for lunch that we wouldn't normally do. Normally, to fire up the stove's a bit of a hassle, but... Uh, Australia has just made life so easy for us in that respect. And in some campgrounds, you will find not only the free electric barbecue, but even a gas ring that's there for you to use as well, or a camper's kitchen. So we've been eating very well and without much fuss at all, or really needing to fire up our stove a lot of the time in Australia, which has been great. I guess we should talk a little bit about the weather as well. We've seen all the extremes, I think. Yeah, I mean, when we arrived in Tasmania, we uh, were greeted by the, a bus driver who was parked next to the terminal. and. Uh, he was he was saying that there was going to be snow on the mountains today. So uh, one of those one of those things you just see every every season in one day. That particularly applies to Tasmania. One day we'd hear about snow, or we'd have a really really chilly rainstorm, and the next day would be beautiful. And then maybe the day after that we couldn't cycle anywhere because of wind, but then it would calm down. So in Tasmania we got really a bit of everything. 
which was kind of frustrating sometimes if we're very honest yeah it's not too bad uh, but uh, we, we managed and uh, but you can also get in massive heat waves as well when they've just had very hot days plus 40s on the mainland yeah so if you're coming in summer you do need to be aware of that and I'm, to be honest i'm not really sure how you pack for it i mean if we'd been doing the great ocean road the last couple of weeks between adelaide and melbourne i think we would have spent most of it under any tree we could have found because temperatures were 45 degrees through a lot of that yeah, just un- uncyclable. And last but not least, of course, we have to mention the friendly people in Australia because we've really made so many wonderful friends. Yeah, we've probably met more people here than we have in the last, so oh, six months or something like that. A lot of those people have been through warm showers, which if you're a cyclist, you probably know about. And if you don't, you should. So go to warmshowers.org. It's funny, every time we mention that name to people, if they're not familiar with it, they sort of look at us a bit oddly as if we're mentioning something vaguely dirty (laughs) people get some strange images in their head when we say do you know about warm showers but actually it's nothing of the sort it's just a group of cyclists who like to offer hospitality to one another and so we've done a lot of that in australia and come away really with all sorts of new best friends but also just generally people seem up for a chat wherever you go and that's been really nice to wander into the corner store and just talk to the local shopkeeper about what's going on in their area joke with them and just uh, get an idea for what the place is like I guess that's enough from us for the moment. Now we want to introduce you to Chris. Yeah, Chris is a cyclist who uh, we met uh, just north of Sydney, uh, Newcastle, and uh, he's about to set off on a round-the-world journey by bicycle. We'll let Chris tell you all about his trip. My name's Chris. I'm from Newcastle in Australia and fell into this uh, kind of touring cycling as a cheap way to travel and uh, really enjoyed it so much that the next stage of the cycling trip is a um, trip around the world. This kind of started as a bit of uh, how to link up a, a few countries and a few friends and stuff I had along the way and then eventually the dots joined and then a few more dots got added and, and eventually it started a, a trip around the world and it was about trying to get around the world as sustainably, you know, as sustainably as I could and um, to try and do it yeah, in a way that was kept me fit and a cheap way to do it and um, one that you could enjoy. And you're not going in half-heartedly. I mean, I, I wanted to sort of list some of the facts, and you can tell me if I get them wrong. So we're talking eight years. Yeah, about eight years. Yeah. 75,000 kilometers, is that right? Yeah, it's a rough estimate. Yeah. To be honest, I don't really know how long it's it's going to take. It's a, kind of like an open itinerary, and, and uh, much like you guys, I guess, it's, it's very fluid. It's going to change, and, you know, things happen on the way, and that's the whole beauty of it. You know, you don't know where it's kind of going to end up. It's just about getting out there, and I figure there's probably at least four years of cycling to do all that. Like, and then I, I want to stop and in places and work a bit and, and try and save a bit of money in between as well for the next stage. So, And give yeah. us the outline of cycling all that. What is all that? How many countries are we talking here? And There's about 50 countries, I think, all 50, up. 50, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it um, starts in Australia and then it heads north and through Asia, um, through uh, Southeast Asia and then up through uh, Central Asia, um, through the Middle East, um, up through Europe. Uh, they don't want to stop in Europe for a bit. Uh, save a bit more money um, and then back down to uh, Africa and all the way down to Cape Town and then I've got to find a yacht or some way to get across the South Atlantic and then up through uh, South America, Central America, North America and then back home again. So, Isn't it a, a little bit scary? I mean you're sitting here eight weeks before your departure day which is March 28th is it? Yeah, yep. And you've got this eight-year trip in front of you. It's an incredible commitment. I mean, yeah, it is. It, what, what are some of the feelings that are going through you at the moment when you're getting ready to take off? I'm a bit blasé about it, actually. There's a lot to be done, so it keeps you busy, so it keeps your mind, I guess, focused on off what you're actually doing and just trying to get out there and get everything organised so that you can 
accomplish what you kind of set out to do. Yeah, like, like a bit nerve-wracking, I guess, but it's kind of cool as well. Like, it's something to look forward to, you know? Like, it's kind of a new adventure and a new chapter in kind of my life, and it's all about getting out there and seeing what happens. Yeah, it's taking every day as it comes and just enjoying it for what it is, you know? Is there a particular reason why you chose cycling? I mean, there's a lot of different adventures that you could have. I don't know, you could go climb Everest or do any number of other things. So why did you focus in on yeah. cycling in particular? I think it's the whole, the whole like, idea and why this, you know, like, and there's a lot more people kind of doing the cycle touring is because it's, it's so cheap. Like, it's just a really cheap way to travel and you meet so many nice people and, and people tend to approach you a lot more rather than if you're a tourist just coming through on a tourist bus with a group, you know, like if you're on a cycle and there's a few of you, you're very, heaps more approachable, you know, people can relate to that a lot more and you, so you get not only closer to the, the um, people but also the culture, you know, that you're travelling through. So it's kind of more, it's a lot more interesting, I think. And tell us a little bit about some of the travels you did before, I believe you went through Europe a few years ago? Yeah, I did a, um, a trip through Europe in 2005. I started in um, Norway uh, and ended up going through um, Scandinavia and through the, the Baltic states, to Eastern Europe, um, and then through Greece and then ended up in Istanbul. So that was about 8,000 kilometres and it took me about three months to do all that, which was really cool. But again, it was just linking up friends that I'd met. I'd lived in England for a while and, you know, wasn't doing much exercise and drinking a lot of beer and, and it kind of, there's a bike in front of me and my sister lent it to me and, and before I knew it, I was bought a cheap ticket to um, Norway and was visiting friends there and, and they didn't actually know that I was planning on doing a bit of a ride they just thought I was riding to uh, Stockholm and then I sent them you know like little letters and stuff or like postcards and things along the way and, and they couldn't believe it when I actually got to Istanbul I don't think they would have let me go if I had told them what I was trying to do <laughs> yeah when you were traveling through Europe did you have any really good stories or experiences yeah there was a couple of cool places and cool experiences I guess I had um I slept in a fire station one time in, in Montenegro because I, uh, a, um, my, my bike was in tatters. It was you know, broken spokes and it was out of true and I didn't have any other tools to fix it and I thought a fire station might have a tool. And Sure enough, there was about six fires that were doing nothing other than watching TV and they all came out to help and turned the bike upside down, took all the panniers off, took the bike apart, fixed it all for me and put it back together. And, and by that stage, it was really late at night and... Uh, and I didn't have anywhere to sleep, and they just said, yeah, yeah, we've got bunks here, just sleep in the fire station. So that was really cool. I got chatting to those guys. There was only one guy that could speak English, but, yeah, no, it was really cool. They gave me a shirt, which I still have to this day. And yeah, there was a lot of good things on the on the uh, the trip. Tell us the story about crossing the border. I thought that was quite a good one. I was coming across a border in, um, going from Montenegro, I think it was, into to Albania, no, Albania to, I think it was, no, the former Yugoslav Republic. Anyway, and I, I was going across one of these borders, and um, I didn't think that I needed money. Like, I didn't have to pay anything for a visa. And I was um, going to the checkpoint, and um, I got through one checkpoint, and people that, I don't know, don't drive, I guess, through a lot of the checkpoints, there's kind of like a no-man's land in between. And it's between the two points where, you know, a lot of people kind of rest and stuff, and you just wait until your visa can be processed and things, and you're not you're in this kind of limbo. So I just got through one that I had to pay a um, fee for to come into the country, and I didn't think I had to pay a fee for the, um, to get into uh, Macedonia. And it turns out that I did, and I didn't have enough money on I me. Mean, I think I had like 15 euros, and they wanted a 20-euro fee. And I didn't know about it, so I was rope well, At first I thought they were trying to rip me off, but then I found out that you, know, they, it was, that you actually had to pay it and all the rest of it. And I was stuck there for about an hour arguing with this guy that I didn't have this money, and that's all I had. And he said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. And I was like, well, I can't go back because I had to pay those guys to get back into that country. And that was more than what it was to go forward, you know. And so I was stuck there, and I was in limbo, and there was a, a little guy with a kiosk, and I pleaded with him, and I was like, look, 
can I borrow some money and I'll come, I'll ride back, you know, and pay you back. And I, I was genuinely, you know, going to do that. But um, he was like, no, 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 you have to pay, you have to pay. And I didn't have anything. And I didn't have anything worth even giving him to try and, you know, like, not bribe, but like pay my way kind of to get out of it or for him to sponsor my visa and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and, um, and sure enough, I was arguing, and then I'd go and have half an hour sit down and think, and I'd come back and argue again, and, you know, come back. And, and this went on for a while, and a couple of the truckies that were waiting in the line stuff started to get a bit frustrated with the progress of them trying to get through the border because they obviously had deadlines and things to meet. And one of the guys just went, what's wrong, what's wrong? And, and I was like, oh, I need to, you know, I'm short five euros to get through. And, and he kind of looked at me and went, five euros? He was like, that's nothing, you know? So he pulls out his wallet, gives me five euros right there, and then... I was just, I was amazed, you know, and I tried to meet up with him later on when I actually made it through the border town, and um, as he was going past, of course, he couldn't stop for a coffee or anything for me to pay him back, which I was kind of insisting, but he didn't stop, and um, gave me a good toot when he was going past the border post, which I thought was really cool. <laughs> nice yeah. people that yeah, you meet yeah, all the way. Yeah, like, lovely, you know, just little people, like, you know, everyday people help me out like that, it goes a long way. And you'll remember that when you're crossing borders, won't you, to have a bit of extra cash on this yeah. trip? <laughs> yeah, 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 like, stash a bit of cash on the bike somewhere, yeah. And how are your family? How are they reacting to it now? Yeah. Are they pretty supportive? Or? Yeah, yeah, they're a little bit nervous actually. Very supportive. Like I couldn't do it without my family. Like they're always there. And, and Joe, my girlfriend, is you know really supportive as well, which you know it's just helps you so much. You know, like when they kind of believe in you as well. But they're um, as the you know, date draws near, they're very nervous. So I don't really have to be nervous because they do all that nerving for me. You know, they're doing all the worrying. Yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> doing all the worrying for me. So yeah, it's good to not have to worry about that. But yeah, they're really supportive and really helpful. How do you think you're going to feel on that day when you get on your bike and you roll around the corner and then I suppose there's that moment of realisation that hits, wait, this I don't is know. actually starting, I've I'm actually alone, been you know? thinking about that a lot of like, yeah, that, that first, uh, how it starts, you know, you kind of you take off, but I've often felt that on that first day when I finally camp and stop and I get time to think about, you know, this is the first day of a huge trip, what it's going to be actually like, and to be honest, I have no idea how I'm going to react, you know, like, I could be overjoyed, I could be just relieved that I'm finally, you know, I can leave all the preparation behind and I'm actually on this trip and can enjoy it. I could be really sad, like, I don't really know how I'll take it. It's part of the journey, you know, finding out. It's kind of like more about discovering yourself as well, you know, I think these trips build a lot of character and you really get to know yourself and, and how you react to situations and why you react to the situations that you do. Because a lot of things are, I mean, out of your control and, you know, half the time there's no use worrying about them. I think especially back here, like when you've kind of settled down somewhere and stuff and you collect all these things and, you know, it's a very materialistic way to live. And I think when you take all that out of it and you travel on the bicycle, it's really simple and you get back to the important things, I think, that, that matter. What yeah. do you think, and it's always hard to predict these things looking further ahead, but what do you think will be the hardest thing for you when, when you're on the road? Is there a particular aspect of the trip that you think will be I think um, like missing my family, I think, is, is going to be the biggest thing, is the biggest challenge. And, um, I mean, the physical stuff, and st you, you just do because, you know, you're on the bike and you train a bit, well, you, you train while you're on the way, you know, but it starts with, you know, you do 50 kilometres the next day, one day, 60 kilometres the next, and you build it up, and before you know it, you're doing 100 kilometres, which isn't, you know, you know, with anyone could do without, with a bit of kind of lead up to it. But I think the biggest thing is, yeah, it's going to be being alone, like I'm doing this kind of by myself, which is a bit bit daunting but you know hoping people might join me along the way and you never know where your trip's going to end up or you know what places you're going to go and visit or the people you're going to meet but um i think the hardest bit would be yeah missing my family and what's the part that you're most looking forward to i'm not sure i think tibet and going through um central asia i think will be really exciting and iran i'm really looking forward to but um what i'm really not looking well not so much not looking forward to but what i'm kind of little hesitant about at this stage is africa i think that'll be a very challenging 
part of the journey. At yeah, least by then you'll have a few the... kilometres under your belt. Yeah, that's so right. I figure, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I figure I should be able to have it sorted by then. <laughs> well, I hope I have it sorted by then. And one of the things that really amazes me about you, because I'm sure I would be the complete opposite, is that just two months before we go, you haven't got your bike, you haven't got no. a lot of your gear, <laughs> and, and you seem yeah. completely calm about it. I mean, you're yeah. really quite relaxed. I don't know if underneath that there's a panicking no, <laughs> stomach. There's kind of an anxious thing, I think, just to get started, but things happen, you know, like, kind of, I'm a big believer in, you know, you get out there and, and things happen, not for a reason, but they happen and you should just let them happen, you know, there's no use worrying about things that are out of control, I mean, you know, it doesn't take that long to build a bike and, and I, I've done a lot of research and stuff and spent a lot of time before up to this date, so I'm pretty confident in the stuff that I think I'll need and, you know, need to take with me and read reviews on the equipment and the gear and stuff that you need for an expedition like this, so I'm not as kind of laid back, I guess, as what you think <laughs> or what I appear. How much yeah. weight do you reckon you'll be carrying on your bike when you get it all totaled up, or do you just have no idea at this point? Uh, I'd just be guessing, I think, at this point. But uh, probably 80 kilos wouldn't mm. wouldn't surprise me. So you're not going the for the lightly loaded ride. tour? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure, like I mean, you, like you guys, I'm, I'm sure that uh, eventually you'll start chucking stuff out, and what you don't need, I'm, I'll probably put on eBay and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, we'll see. You know, like you, you kind of work these things out as you go along. And for other people who are thinking about doing a tour like this or something similar, you know, it's all about just getting the bike and getting on the road. And once you're on the road, you, you work it out, you know. And, and there's you know plenty of people that offer you help and support along the way. You know, it's not it's not such a, a giant undertaking as what most people think, and it's much more enjoyable when you just take it each day as it comes. One of the other things that I find really interesting about your trip is that you haven't actually saved a lot of money beforehand. You know, you've saved a little bit, but then you've got this idea to work on the road, so. Well, I hope to, yeah, but um, I, I don't know how that's worked. I, I, I think, like, I'm pretty confident that if it, if I was on the road and, and I kind of, um, and I needed to get somewhere, I, I think I could get to Europe with, um, with the money that I do have. Uh, that's probably as far as I think I could get with it. But um, I've got a good, like, a lot of good friends in Europe that I can always knock on the door and, and kind of ask for work, and yeah, yeah, so they might be able to help me that way. Have you got a budget in mind for your trip in terms of a daily budget? Is there something that you're aiming yeah, for? Yeah, about ten dollars a day. Is, Aussie is not, or Aussie? Yeah, yeah. Wow, which is not a lot. Yeah, that's I did, really, um, really the, tight. The trip I did across Europe, I think it was about four or five euros a day, so it was just enough for a packet of pasta and you know a few stops along the way. But yeah, it's all, it's all going to be, especially the Australia leg. You know, once you get to Central, um, Southeast Asia, it's a bit cheaper. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, you know, like you went, some places it's cheaper, other places it's more expensive. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that it'll even out to be about ten Aussie dollars a day. That is a really tight budget. You're going to be doing a lot of wild camping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, well, that's what it's about. That's why I need a good tent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone out there is listening and has a bed, I'm sure you'd appreciate it on route. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> or a yacht, yeah, and they just happen way. to be sailing or a across yacht. A <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> across an ocean and don't mind someone along for the ride. Yeah, like a shoe-in, yeah. As you get into the trip, do you think you'll ever... Will there be a moment when you just think, oh, I just want to come home, I don't want to finish out this eight years? Yeah, I hope not. But but I'm sure there will be plenty of moments like that, you know, and and I don't know how I'll deal with them. I mean, you can you can't really predict that kind of thing. Like um, but I, you've just got to be thankful for where you are and the opportunity that you do have, you know, to do something like this. I mean, you know, three quarters of the world couldn't even think about doing anything like this, you know. And I have this amazing opportunity, and I want to make the most of it. So, and th there is a lot of time, but it's kind of I guess the the best thing about being on the bike is just that unbridled sense of freedom that you have you know you can go anywhere if you want to take a detour you take a detour you know there's not a lot of places well i mean there is places you can't go with a bicycle you know but there's a lot of places that you can go you know and it just opens up 
doors and opportunities and and the people you meet you know like a, like we were saying before you know it's much more welcoming and it's just a it's a great way to travel you know like I, I can't understand why there isn't a, a bigger movement you know like doing this kind of traveling but I think it's growing in popularity so it's good it can only be a good thing you know for the planet and for every you know people and I know a lot of people out there will want to follow you on your trip and you've got a website so tell us a little bit about that give us the address and yeah it's um www.cyclestrongman.com um, yeah I've set that up uh, with the help of a lot of friends and, and family and stuff just trying to keep that going and stuff as I ride around and just to try and get other people interested and you know maybe they want to know about the trip or what I'm doing it's just a great way to kind of that all that information's there and people can help it and it's a kind of a central focus point I guess for the trip you know, you're not just some wandering nomad you've you know kind of people can get in touch and you know and that's the best thing about meeting people and stuff along the way it's all that's the beauty of it I guess yeah so if people want to follow you there, you'll update us when, when you have a spare dollar in your pocket to get yeah, on yeah. that. <laughs> well, I try, I'm going to try to. Yeah, yeah. I'm still kind of hunting sponsors and things. So if anyone's out there that, you know, thinks they might be able to help with gear or anything like that, you know, it's, it goes a long way. You know, just simple things, you know, people giving you meals along the way and, you know, like a warm shower and, you know, helping you out, buying you gear and stuff. It's just, you're so appreciative, you know, like, especially when you don't have much, you know, and, and you're trying to do these, these great things. It's It goes a long way and people don't, I think sometimes people don't realise like how little they actually have to help in order to help you enormously. You know, like it's only just the smallest things. You know, helping you fix a wheel that's out of true, or you know, lending you a spoke because you've run out, or you know, giving you a place to sleep even if it's just on the you know like where the dog sleeps. You know, you stick up your tent and it's fine. You know, like you don't you don't care about these things. You know, and it doesn't take much to help people, and yeah, it's, it goes a long way. Chris, thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure. All the very best, Chris. Um, we look forward to reading your uh, post and seeing how you're doing on the road. And now we're going to talk about cargo ships. So you can probably still hear that solid hum. It's what we've been listening to for the last five days as we travel between Australia and New Zealand. It's been a pretty fun trip, actually. Yeah, we're actually up on the deck, and so we can see all the container ships. And uh, We've got a nice day. We're just sailing between the North and the South Island of New Zealand at the moment. We should be in port tomorrow, supposedly, if everything goes well. That's the theory anyway. As we found out, these uh, cargo ship journeys can be a little bit fickle, but they are pretty attractive if you want to get around the world with your bicycle and you don't want all the hassle of putting your bike in a box and getting to the airport and then they charge you extra fees because everything weighs so much. So we're going to tell you a little bit about how to do it. Yeah, the first thing you can probably do is to start looking up the for agents that uh, run these type of container ships and uh, figure out if they take passengers. Yeah, just Google something like cargo ship agent or freighter travel and you'll probably come up with a few links. We'll put a few on our website as well to help you out. And email people and get an idea for which lines are active at the moment because there are a lot of different routes that these ships travel and some are easier to get on than others. So you really just want to get an idea of what's out there and how much it might cost you. Now, one thing you do definitely have to think about is planning well in advance. Planning to, to board a ship a year ahead of time is uh, quite common yeah we actually looked to sail across the pacific that was our first hope um, but we couldn't we asked in september for a sailing in may and because the ship we wanted was going up the west coast there's only one that takes passengers right now and this route up through san francisco and onto seattle and vancouver was fully booked at least eight months ahead of time now, I think the one we're on right now between Australia and New Zealand, that's quite easy to get on, but you just don't know. So start looking at least a year in advance so that you don't get disappointed. Yeah, and the other thing is definitely be flexible because the dates of departure really can change quite a bit. Yeah, ours moved by three days, 
we heard of another couple whose ship actually changed ports three times. And you have to remember that these container ships don't go every day like an airplane would. So, for example, the one we're on comes around about once every six weeks or so, I think. So you do have to be pretty willing to just go with whatever date comes your way. And you might have to hang around a port for a few days while you wait for the ship to show up. And that, unfortunately, is on your dollar, which brings us to the cost. Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit more expensive. Uh, running us for this trip between Australia and, and uh, New Zealand at 500 euros each. That includes all your food and, of course, your room. And the meals are pretty good. We'll get to that later. But you can't deny that it is a lot more expensive than your average flight. Now, I guess you just have to weigh up whether the adventure of the trip and the fact that you don't have to do all that stuff with your bike and worry about the excess luggage charges is worth it to you. We think it is. We've had a really, really good time. Just the world that's out there of container ships and seeing how all this stuff that we consume moves around. And, and it really gives you a perspective of how far it is between Australia and New Zealand. I mean, it's really, on the map, it looks like such a small distance and I think in a plane it's just an hour's flight but we're here five days journey at 40 kilometers an hour I suppose we might not be quite so happy if we've been seasick and actually we've been very very lucky on this trip yeah we've been really really lucky I mean today's the first day that I've actually seen white caps uh, so we're only another 12 hours pretty much from uh, landing in port yeah so fingers crossed unless something wild happens in the strait here we'll be fine Having said that, one of our passengers on board told us there have been days when she's gone down to eat and the tables and chairs have just gone flying across the room because the waves have been so bad. So you'll want to bring some seasickness pills and then just hope you don't need to use them. Yeah, fingers crossed. A few other things about life on board. You probably want to bring a project along because there is a lot of downtime. There's a TV and some DVD movies to watch and a few odds and sods, some books and... Uh, a ping pong table. Yes, we've been enjoying that lately. And a pool, but it's very, very, very cold. As cyclists, um, you always pay special attention to the food, don't you? We've been eating very, very well. Yeah, I mean, we've been enjoying very hearty meals, uh, obviously prepared for the crew that are out here working on the boat. It's very meat and potatoes stuff, though. I don't know how you would get on if you were vegetarian. I guess that's a question to pose when you're booking the trip. For example, today we had steak and chips for lunch with a bowl of soup to start. There's always a salad, lots of fresh fruit around it. I really like this bit. Always a bottle of wine on the table. Yeah, well, it is a French ship. And we had a really fun barbecue, and that kind of brings us into talking about the crew, who are, who are just great. Yeah, I mean, they're basically made up of uh, Filipinos who work the ship, and some of the higher-up uh, positions are filled out by um, Romanians. And it's been a great atmosphere. We had a barbecue out, out in the back of the boat, and uh, music, and a little bit of dancing. It just... A good atmosphere. And it's not just during the barbecue when we sort of felt like we were one of the family, so to speak. You know, the captain comes and plays ping pong with us once in a while. And the chief engineer always seems to have a twinkle in his eye and says hello. And you really do feel that people view you not just as a passenger, but that they really enjoy talking to you and want to get to know a little bit about you. And, and we enjoy getting to know about them. So that's been a very nice experience that way. I don't know if you would get that on a cruise ship necessarily. Here it just feels like we've just become a member of the family for a few days. Well, those are just a few thoughts from our life on the open seas over the past few days. Now we're heading very quickly to New Zealand. Yeah, from what we can tell from here, it is really quite hilly. I think our legs are definitely going to get a workout on those mountains. And a little bit chillier than Australia as well. I think we'll be getting out the long sleeves, even though it's in theory summer here. See you on the road.